0: We are on Ayah number 45, Surah Yaseen. A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytani r rahman Wa-idhaa qeela lahum ma maa bayna aydeekum wa maa khalfakum la'allakum turhamoon. وَمَا تَأْتِيهِمْ مِنْ آيَةٍ مِنْ آيَاتِ رَبِّهِمْ إِلَّا كَانُوا عَنْهَا مُعْرِضِينَ When it is said to them, fear what's in front of you and what's behind you, and what lies ahead of you and what will come after you so that you may be given and shown mercy. This is a statement made by Muslims in this world to (coughs) non-Muslims that they should fear the consequences of their actions and be ready for the day of judgment. And not a sign from the signs of your Lord. Come to them, except that they are averse from it. They turn away from the ayah and from the sign. This ayah, this sign is the Muslims saying to them, that they should fear the consequences of their actions. That in itself is a sign. <coughs> so the Muslim reciting an ayah of the Quran is an ayah, is a sign. <coughs> Where Allah, the Prophet said, عني <coughs> that convey you from me even though it may be one ayah or one hadith. So when a Muslim is giving da'wah to a non-Muslim in this universal sense, then that is an ayah from God, that is a sign from God. And because he has delivered the message, the hujja, the proof of burden has been established, then that person is now obligated to believe he will have no excuse in front of Allah and say that I didn't know, I didn't receive the message. No. You understand? So here in this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, ayah number 46, وَمَا مِّنْ آيَةٍ مِّنْ آيَةٍ رَبِّهِم, That not a sign from any of the signs of your Lord approaches him, comes to him or them, except that they turn away from them or from it. Means the da'wah a Muslim gives is an ayah from Allah to the person who is listening to the ayah or to the hadith, and that will be enough evidence for the angels and Allah on the Day of Judgment that a sign, an ayah, from God did come to you. is why dawa now becomes very important in the in the in the vein of uh, surah yasin which is the heart of the Quran this is the heart of the message of muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam that the ummah is now responsible to now further the message yeah. so yasin who is muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam and his ummah who are now delegates of Muhammad Just as in the previous story, the first story, where two people were sent, and then a third one was added on to uh, give moral support. Likewise, the whole Ummah is added on to the mission of Yasin, so that they continue the message of Yasin. in that vein. You must understand these two ayah. This is said to them. Meaning, who is the doer, who is the file, the subject of the word to say? Muslims. Muslims are the doers, and Muslims will tell non Muslims that they should behave and fear the consequences of their actions. This you can do from a position of strength. You can't do this from a position of weakness. Meaning it should be done at the official level, at the level of establishment, the level of government, the level of inter-government dialogue and so on. Or that you're in a Muslim country and you have non-Muslim visitors and tourists coming, there the dawah definitely should be given in a non-Muslim country you are invariably operating from a position of weakness. So that would perhaps be different. The methods of da'wah in a non-Muslim country are significantly different from those in a Muslim country. (coughs) In a Muslim country, you have your civilizational values and codes, and you can bring people towards those values and codes, whereas in a non-Muslim country, you're you're under the auspices of the non-Muslim culture and civilization, where it might be difficult. What are you calling people towards? Well, I'm calling you towards Muslim community center. good luck with that. (laughs) Why are you calling them towards? Unless it's just an individual spiritualism, which works too. You can do that. There's no system you're calling them to. The only system you have are the community centers or the masajid, or whatever. If you're calling them towards them, then as I said, good luck with that. Uh, they're a far cry away from being a normal <coughs> Muslim establishment and organization. But nevertheless, da'wah uh, still has to be given and done. There, there, there are many ways of giving da'wah. One is you do your prayers openly, and you fast openly, and you uh, mention zakat openly, and you mention going for hajj openly. That is, I think, the best way of giving dawah to show that you are different from them in your religion and your religious practices and your observances. Yeah. In that vein, you'll have other issues that come to the surface. However, what I'm saying is that in this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, when it is said to them, that fear, what's coming in front of you and what's behind you, the people who are saying this are those who represent Yaseen. Those who represent the Prophet, sallallahu and, and who is that? Every Muslim. So every Muslim must engage in this, whether it's a Muslim country or non-Muslim country. You have to engage in some form of dialogue, even though it may just be your... Observation of ritualistic Islam, in such a way that your neighbors and others know you are different in your religion. That's number one. Number two, the fact that you're giving dawah is a sign from Allah. That in itself is a sign. So people say they're waiting for a sign from God. You are the sign. You make yourself the sign from Allah Subhanahu, which is huge. It's a blessings and honor, but it's also your responsibility. And if people turn away from that, then they are turning away from the truth. And the hujja, the ultimate proof and burden of proof, has now been established. And they will not be able to give an excuse on the Day of Judgment that the message did not come to them. This is also in the spirit of Yaseen sending uh, messengers People who have not been warned before, as in the earlier ayahs of the surah, آباؤهم, so that you warn people whose forefathers were not warned. So, in the beginning of the ayah, there's that ayah. So, here the whole theme of Yasin is that you apply it to Yasin. So, just as Muhammad uh, went to a group of people who were never warned before, likewise. His ummah will go to people who have never been warned before either, and that would be us. So we have to take on that responsibility also. In lieu of that, and in that vein, the next ayah then makes perfect sense. (laughs) and when it is said to them again the people saying this are Muslims that spend from whatever Allah has provided you with those who disbelieve say to those who believe so again you will see that there are two groups mentioned in Yasin later on in this passage also you'll see and even before Those who believe and those who don't believe, they're two separate groups. They're not the same. Those who believe in Muhammad and those who do not believe, in line with the name and the word Yasin. So those who disbelieve, they say to those who believe, uh, are we going to feed those whom if Allah wanted, he would have fed? Why are you feeding those whom Allah doesn't want to be, want to feed anyway? I mean, those who are deprived and those who don't work and those who don't earn a living and those who are handicapped and those who are deprived of uh, basic human needs, uh, God doesn't want to feed them anyway. Which, although in words is not spoken, but definitely spoken in policy, Stated in policy, yeah, yeah. Allah doesn't want to provide for them, so why should we provide for them? We're not establishing a welfare state necessarily, but there is some form of altruism that's needed in every community. And those who are against um, altruism, uh, they will be in line with this group who are non-believers. So there again, you have the idea of believers and non-believers. So those who believe will always want to help those who are in need. And those who don't believe will not want to help those who are in need. Those are two very distinct groups. Indeed, in (laughs) inandumillah fi bolali mubeen, those who disbelieve then say uh, that you are in manifest error, that your thinking is wrong your approach to life is wrong. We should not feed or facilitate life for those who are handicapped or deprived or otherwise downtrodden and so on. So this is a civilizational value that Muslims bring to the table. The first is taqwa, fear of God and fear of the Day of Judgment. And the second is um, contribution to the human welfare these are two of the uh, everlasting Ah, good deeds that come with us when we die. And they say, out of disgust and out of derision, uh, when is this promise going to occur? If indeed you are truthful, or if indeed you are truthful, when is this promise going to happen? The promise of the Day of Judgment. Everybody's talking about doomsday, and you are now sounding the alarm bells, and you are saying that you will be resurrected. When is this promise going to come? Now again, this may not be stated in words, but <coughs> definitely an attitude, and definitely an approach, that we believe we're going to live forever, and we believe we have enough resources to last us forever. And so on, like the people of Ad and Thamud hmm, would have warehouses. Hmm, that they would make these masani'a warehouses, depositories in which they would store food, so that they would live live forever. Hmm. That sounds kind of uh, sounds familiar, right? Storing food and you're taking stock and you're preparing for everything except doomsday, except the day of judgment. Anyway, this is what people who disbelieve say. And they wait for nothing except a sudden blow, Um, a single blow, a blast, it will be a, a sonic phenomenon where there will be a tremendous sound which will cause the earthquake, <coughs> which will capture them, yeah. and they will then be debating with each other what's happening. Yeah, this global earthquake that the Qur'an speaks of on the Day of Judgment is a result of a sound sound will be sent from the sur, the trumpet of Israfil, and then that sound will reach the earth and the earth will have this gigantic global earthquake. At that time people will be debating and arguing with each other what's happening, what's happening, etc. But then in the Quran, as it says in the next ayah, it will be too late. They will not be able to give each other any will or bequest each other anything to each other, nor will they be able to return to their family members. It will be too late. There will be nothing there uh, to live for and look forward to. You know, so here the Quran is bringing in now the aspect of the Day of Judgment and the Akhirah and so on. So, as I said, the surah <coughs> revolves around three principles Tawheed, Risala, and Akhirah. So, in this segment, you have all three also. In the first ayah, Allah Subh'ala talks about Taqwa. <laughs> then, do they not have Taqwa? Meaning that they have the rules of Tawheed with them and they believe in Allah. They don't believe in Allah. And the second is the representation of this message by Muslims who deliver the message to others. And the third is belief in the Day of Judgment. You can see how the surah follows the theme, the whole theme, very consistently throughout. And then the second trumpet will be blown. Okay. Up to here is the first one, which is not mentioned, but is implied. And here now the second one. The trumpet will be blown, meaning a second time. Then all of a sudden, uh, they will rise and rush towards their Lord from their graves. Yeah, meaning from their graves, they will be resurrected and they will run towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what will they be saying? What will their state be? They will say out of fright, not as a rhetorical question, but out of fright, they will say. Out of fear, they will say, who is the one who has resurrected us, raised us from our place of rest, the place of sleep? So the grave is either a place where you sleep, or a place where you are in unrest, depending on your ranks and depending on your actions and your deeds, and so on. So they will establish this um, fact in their statements, and they will ask the question out of fright and fear: "Who has now done this? Where are we, and where wa- where are we going?" So the Quran depicts this and fear uh, of the Day of Judgment and the impact of that should be that we prepare for that da- time and for that day. Not to speculate about the theology of it, but rather to take a pragmatic approach to the statement. <laughs> so it will be said, angels will announce That this is what the Rahman has promised. The Rahman, the one who has compassion and mercy, is the one who has promised this day. Now he has fulfilled his promise. وَصَدَقُ الْمُرْسَلُونَ And the messengers have spoken the truth. Messengers came time after time. People came and warned people. There is a day of judgment. There is a day and time of reckoning. And there is a time and point when you will face Allah to discuss you, yeah. the Day of Judgment is all about you, how you are, and Allah will be asking you how you are, and what you did, etc. Yeah. It will be just merely one blast. The second blow of the trumpet will also be one blow, and the sonic phenomenon that will cause the affairs of the Day of Judgment to unfold and unravel will be much longer. Then all of a sudden, all of them, they will be in front of us, in line, Muhbarun, made present in front of us, all human beings, if you can sit back and imagine that spectacle where all you have is a sea of human beings. Billions, if not trillions of human beings lined up. <coughs> which is difficult to imagine. The only way you can imagine that is if you draw an analogy from the Hajj. That's probably the only event on the planet that gives you an insight into this event where everybody is, see a sea of people, all people. In the Haram. So likewise, on the Day of Judgment, there will be just a huge, huge sea of people, billions of people, all on one platform, yeah, all in front of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, all intimidated and threatened, all with their necks down. All everyone's humbled in front of the Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala, in front of the Almighty, and this is how the Quran wants people to believe in and visualize this event. The Quran is depicting this so that human beings through their imagination can at least draw an ana- analogy from somewhere to get to this place where they're going to be. And when that comes upon you, dawns upon you, then there's only one thing that strikes you, and that is fear. You don't know how Allah is going to be. So It's no joking matter. It's not for the feeble-minded. It gives you tremendous strength and power and urges you to do better today and not wait for tomorrow. Yeah. Anyway, these are all the benefits of understanding and visualizing this day, this day of judgment. Mm-hmm. Then what are some of the proceedings of that day? That day will bring what to people? So here, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is saying that today no soul will be, wronged, anything. لا That no one will be wronged in any way, shape, or form. This is the day of justice, individual, uh, personal, and also social and communal justice will be established on this day, and there are many hadith speak about the type of justice as the affairs of the Day of Judgment will begin, will begin <coughs> by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala displaying two animals or two goats or rams, one with a pair of horns and the other without a pair and the one with horns and uh, butted the ones without the horn in the world Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will replace the horns the other way and Hornless will now take revenge from uh, the one that was horned. Uh, this is just to start the proceedings to show that there is no injustice today. Um, now from that you draw an analogy, of how grand this picture will be. that there will be so many forms of injustice uh, that will be resolved, um, and nobody will be left behind in this process of receiving justice for himself, herself, and from others, etc. The second issue is that they will be recompensed only for what they did. Meaning, if they did not do anything, there will be no compensation. And if they did something, they will be compensated. So one is that there will be no injustice tolerated. All forms of injustices will be brought to the forefront and people will be made to repay and pay for their injustices. And the second is whatever wage they earn will be in lieu of what they earned. And if they didn't earn anything, they will not be paid anything. It's as simple as that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, these are the proceedings, initial proceedings of the day of judgment so that human beings value their time in this world and they live with certain values and they live with certain codes and they live with certain practices and they don't go astray in this world. So time and space requires that we live a disciplined life. For those who are paid and given their wage, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, uh, they are the people of the garden people of jannah and what will they do in jannah fi fakihun today the people the companions of jannah uh, they will be engaged intimately in a very uh, delightful uh, occupation shughl <laughs> yeah. So there are several issues here. We don't have time to get, go through all of those. One is the idea of Ashabul jannah which I may have alluded to in the past. Ashabul jannah the people of Jannah, is a community. Oh, we seem to think we'll have our own individual kingdoms and we'll be left alone. No. You'll be a community. You'll know each other. And you'll be made to recognize each other even those who came before you and those who came after you, you'll be one tight community, close-knit, ashab. You will not be alienated from each other. Like here, you're alienated from next-door neighbor. You won't know your next-door neighbor until they die. And even when they die, you don't know their names. Jannah is not that way. In Jannah, everybody knows each other. Everybody is familiar with each other. It is a community that is unparalleled. You cannot produce that community on this world, in this world, on this planet. They are ashab, they're companions, they live together. Even though the Jannah is uh, eternal, and even though Jannah is uh, infinite, and even though Jannah is so huge, Allah Akbar. And even though you may have your own kingdom, inshaAllah, but you'll know each other. And there will be times when you'll gather together, and you'll eat with each other, and so on. These are the details in hadith. So when you say ashabul jannah, companions of jannah of the garden, it does not mean to say you will be isolated and you will be uh, alone in your privacy, which you will be. But at the same time, you will know uh, each other, and you will be a huge force and a huge community. That's the first thing. Second thing is the word shugul. In the word shugul, there is ample uh, solace and information about what the people of Jannah will be doing. Yeah. Even in Jannah, you should be in a shugul. You should be occupied. You cannot be lazy in any place. God forbid a al in Jahannam, you won't have time to be unoccupied. Allah save us all. You'll be very, very preoccupied. But in Jannah, this Ayah saying, will be immensely occupied. How so faqihun, in a state of delight, will be occupied in a delightful way. Yeah, so those of you who might think, Jannah is a boring place, and maybe you don't deserve to go there. <laughs> That's because you're boring. Yeah. Yeah. You're boring when you don't have a gadget, when you don't have the TV, yeah. right? When you don't have things to play with, then you're boring, you're bored. Yeah. In Jannah, you will not be bored. You will be preoccupied in discovering who you are, what you are, what you can do. you will be enjoying your own creativity, you'll be occupied in you, and you'll be occupied with your spouses and other members of the family in introducing yourselves to the delights of Jannah, where it will be, inshallah, magnificent. We don't have the words, obviously, to describe what's coming in Jannah, as the Prophet ﷺ said in Hadith Qudsi. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, I have prepared for my servants that which eyes have not seen and ears have not heard and no thought has occurred onto the heart of any human being about what is in Jannah. This is beyond this world. If it's beyond this world, then it should be something that we strive towards achieving. Not something that is rejected. Oh yeah, fine, everybody talks about Jannah. No. So the occupation issue is number one. In Jannah, Allah will not keep us unoccupied. In Jannah, Allah will keep us occupied. And that occupation will be for for pleasure and for bliss and for companionship, ashab. Yeah, and that is how, inshallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will treat us. So we see from evidences that we will be tasting yeah, the, the fruits of our own labor in Jannah. So on one occasion, we may taste the fruits of our salat. On another occasion, we may taste the fruits of fajr, and then Zuhr, and then asr, and then Maghrib, and then isha. So all the timings of salat will be there in Jannah. And every time we did salat on time in, in the world, we will be enjoying the fruits of that labor in Jannah, that's how you'll spend your day, and then you'll be uh, enjoying the fruits of your psalm, of your salah, of your zakat, of your hajj, of your charity, of all the good deeds that you did, all of those actions will be translated into different forms of pleasure and bliss, that's what Jannah is, faqihud, faqih, so anyway, we can go on and on about describing and how how we will be in jannah inshallah but this should suffice uh, for the moment allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's pleasure and follow is upon this ummah through the quran and through yasin and through the prophet ﷺ that he has given us something to look forward to yeah, so with a muslim you look forward to meeting your lord so that <coughs> your lord inshallah, gives you the reward of Jannah. That is a Muslim's mindset. And that's why he does what he does in this world. They along with their spouses, with their wives and spouses, they will be under the shade together. So there will be no sun, as we know in Jannah, and they will be shaded by the Rahmah of Allah, the mercy of Allah, the Arsh of Allah on the Day of Judgment and then in Jannah through other forms of shades. So they will have different forms of shades in Jannah and those shades will allow them to live uh, for the moment and <coughs> those shades will bring about certain moods. Yeah, yeah. So with Dilal there is plural. There's not one shade, there are many forms of shades. And those shades will, when they dawn upon the people of Jannah, will produce and generate moods, moods of bliss. So there will be different forms and different moods of bliss based on the shades. <laughs> they will be reclining on these canopies mm, that are grand. <coughs> it's Allah subhanahu wa favor upon the people of Jannah will be expressed this way. It is good to ask for Jannah. Mm-hmm. The idea that we should not ask for Jannah, that is ridiculous. There's nothing more un-Islamic than saying we should not ask for Jannah. That is pathetic. Every ayah uh, in the Qur'an that speaks about the Day of Judgment says that we must ask for Jannah. Jannah is a place where you want to be because you certainly don't want to be in the other place. Jannah is a place where Allah's pleasure is manifested. You want to be there. You don't want to be in the other place. <coughs> so I think some of us should realize that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's favor and pleasure is there. And we should definitely ask for Jannah. as the Prophet Wasallam said, when you ask for Jannah, ask for Firdaus. Right? So we should ask for Jannah to Firdaus. Allah grant us all, inshaAllah, Jannah to Firdaus. So these uh, people, the people of Janna, will be there under the shades and they'll be reclining and they'll be relaxing and they'll be enjoying themselves uh, with these moods, under these moods. They'll be taken into a different dimension altogether. Some of those dimensions can be intellectual still, they can still be academic, and some for others they'll just be sensual depending on your ranks. right. Just as in this world, uh, different people find different forms of pleasure. Some people find pleasure in the sensual world. Some people find pleasure in the intellectual. Some people in the academic. Some people in doing good deeds and everything else. Some people being in the company of others find pleasure. So So there are different forms of pleasures also in Jannah. They will be translated the way they are in this world. لَهُمْ فِيهَا فَاكِهَةٌ وَلَهُمْ مَا يدعون For them, there will be many fruits, uh, the fruits of our actions and our labor which I just described. And for them, there will be whatever they ask, whatever they demand, whatever they call, whatever they want, مَا Whatever they call towards, they will find in front of them. Their ability to create will be instant. Hmm. Jannah is a place of creativity. You think, and it will be. Can you imagine that power? Hmm. Now if you don't have the ability to think outside of sensual pleasure, then God help you, literally. Hmm. Right. You must find a way to develop the ability to enjoy things that are non-sensual. Hmm like intellectual, rational, academic, philosophical, whatever, spiritual, uh, or your ibadah. That's nonsense. Right? If you can find pleasure in your ibadah, you've made it. Then you have jannah on, on earth. Right. If you don't find pleasure in ibadah, then you're still a long way from there. Yeah. So anyway, so whatever they call, meaning what you think of, you receive receive. Instantaneous, uh, what do you call it? Creation and creativity, as Allah Subhanahu wa Taala will give everybody a drop from His creativity, since Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is the Creator. Everyone who enters Jannah will receive a drop of His creativity, and they'll be able to create whatever they want in their minds, through their minds, and it will be real. It won't be imaginary. It will be very, very real. And this is the state of the people of Jannah. Then the most emphatic word and code in Jannah is this ayah which people say is the, the heart of the heart of Yaseen. <laughs> that there will be a statement released by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala all the time. And this will be a press release from Allah for the people of Jannah and that will be salamun Peace, رحيم, A statement, a word from the Lord, the Rabb, who is all-encompassing, uh, all-merciful, and all-compassionate, and so on. <coughs> so this salam, salamun, qawlan min Rahim will be a statement, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala issues to the people of Jannah, so that they may reside in there for eternity. So you see the word salam there has a very definite meaning and it is very very powerful it is the word that allows the people of jannah to remain in jannah that is the power of the word salam okay. salam is one word Salam is the name of allah so this salam is not the name of allah this salam is a word allah releases a statement that allah gives to the people of jannah and his name is As-Salam, right? Darus-Salam is the place of Salam, not the place of God. You even say Darus-Salam is the place of God. as is Allah. No, Darus-Salam is the place of Salam, which is this Salam, hmm. not the name of Allah. Allah is above all that. Hmm. So you see, this description for those who wish to seek Jannah, that the these are what do you call it means of encouragement, that messengers are sent as bashir, people who give glad tidings. So these are glad tidings and words of encouragement for those who wish to seek Allah's pleasure in Jannah. And the incentive there is that we should be looking forward to all of these forms of bliss and all of these forms of enjoyment and pleasure and delights and ni'm. May Allah subhanahu wa, ta'ala, subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us all his jannah. I mean. Ya Rabban Ali. Inshallah we'll continue the next time. Jazakum Allah. Khair. We'll, ha- we'll do our salat soon, maybe in 10 minutes. No, time doesn't come in until 12, right? We'll do after 12 then. Twelve or 5 we'll start jamaat. جزاكم <تصفيق> الله